This is the Unhindered Voice Podcast, empowering you to sing with freedom and authority. My name is Jeff Mathena, and I'm a vocal coach living in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm in the studio today with Daniel Ornelas. Now, Dan is a native of Cape Town, South Africa, and he's made quite a career for himself as a bass guitarist, touring with bands like 10th Avenue North, Gunger, Tree 63, Tim Hughes, Paul Baloche, and really, that's just a few names off of this list of close to two dozen bands and artists that he has played with. He currently tours with Brenton Brown and is the front man for a band called The Worship Republic. He's also the bass instructor for worshipartistry.com. Dan, thanks for being here with me today. Super great to be here, man. I'm excited. Uh, so the reason that I, uh, I wanted to have you on for the first episode, or I guess the first full episode in this Mm -hmm. podcast is because I think that there are going to be a lot of people listening to this that will relate to where you're at in your singing life. And and my understanding of that is you've been singing for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, And on some level, you feel like you've been kind of um, getting by, you know, like you... You are a gifted musician. You're a gifted singer, um, but you know we've only known each other for really for a few months, and mm-hmm. I feel like we've become uh, pretty good friends over that time. I guess yeah. that happens because we see each other every single day. Uh, <laughs> you store your your uh, drinks in my fridge. Your, that's right. Your, right. Uh, vegetable smoothies. I don't have <laughs> I don't have room for a refrigerator in my studio at the moment, and so I use Dan's refrigerator. He his studio is directly across the hall from mine. But even if you weren't directly across from the hall, <laughs> still feel like you'd be uh, the perfect guest because there are going to be a lot of people that are going to um, have very similar questions. To the ones that you have about your voice. So we've been talking for the last few months, like basically ever since I moved in, um, you've been saying, man, I really want to come in and and like work on my voice and get something. And every time we we start talking about the voice, I feel like you, um, you become like really attentive, which tells me that you're really hungry to know things. Yeah. I I mean, for me, I I feel like it's, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people that feel this way. Uh, and they might be a songwriter or a, a someone that actually plays in a band with other folks. Like my, I was always in a band with someone else. I was never the front front person. So in my band in South Africa, my sister and I were both kind of co-leading the front front of the band. But I always kind of deferred to her a little That's bit. That's Tree Sixty Three. No, that was an, another band called. Oh, another band. How yeah, many called, bands have you been in? Well, my first band was called Naked Lyric. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which was actually, believe it or not, a Christian band. Okay. <laughs> um, and we toured all over the, the world pretty much as a band. But my sister was always wanting to be a singer, and I was just wanting to be a bass player and wanting to surf basically my whole life. So I never really, I never never really thought of myself as a singer growing up. Uh-huh. And then even once even. I mean, even till, you know, even now there's like my songwriting and my singing, I feel of the two things that have suffered the most because of everything else that takes up my space in my life. Mm. And so I'm sure like some of your guests feel this way as well. They might have something else that's also important in their life. So they always take their singing as it's not their, not, it's not their main thing. They're not dreaming of entering idols. Mm. Like I've never thought of myself as a, like a front vocalist. You know what I mean? But I always get asked to lead worship. Where I, and I, have, I even have a band called the Worship Republic, which I'm the front guy for the band. But I never wake up in the morning thinking, I'm a singer. Yeah. <laughs> and so th- 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 there's, it's the same as my songwriting. I have to kind of make an effort to try and make it a priority. 
Um, and so I've never felt like I've really made my voice a priority as much as I want to. As much as I'm like, man, if I just really got my act together, I could be a good singer. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think there are going to be three... Um, I mean, who knows where this is going to go this first episode ever. But in my mind, there there are sort of three types of people, three types of singers that are going to yeah. listen to this podcast. Um, one of them are like artists that do fancy themselves as singers. They go, yeah. I'm a singer. This is what I want to be. Everything. I have no problem with, with my life revolving around my voice, right? Yeah, absolutely. The second one is, is going to be like shower singers that just like the idea of being a better singer, but they're like, I'm never really going to put myself out there. Maybe I would, some, I don't know, but I'm kind of fine being just in the background. Yeah. Um, and then the the third category um, are going to be, be the people that, uh, and I think this is probably going to be the largest category, mm-hmm are people that will relate to that story a ton because mm-hmm. I come across so many um, worship leaders in particular yep. and songwriters, especially living Absolutely. in Nashville. So yep. many songwriters that didn't realize when they came to town that they were going to be asked to showcase their own songs yep. at writer's rounds mm-hmm. and and that they were going to be demoing songs at the end of every month um, and, and constantly looking for singers. I've met so many songwriters that are going man, I really would love to just be able to demo my own songs confidently at the end of every month mm-hmm. because I'm constantly looking for singers that are better than me to make my songs look as good as possible. Absolutely. So you have this huge, you know, all of these people that never really thought about how useful being a really, I guess, finely tuned singer. Yeah, proficient. Yeah, yeah proficient singer would be. Now, for what it's worth, I feel the exact same way about other areas of my life. And mm-hmm. I have to take comfort in the fact that, I mean, I have taken so many voice lessons mm-hmm. in my life. And I have spent so many hours working on my voice, but I watch you play bass and I'm just like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I wish I was half of the musician on guitar or keys or whatever. Mm-hmm. And actually I walk in and you're like tracking guitars and you're doing other stuff too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are friends of mine that I go, wow, they can do everything better than me, except <laughs> maybe when it comes to their voice. Yep. Um, and so I have to take comfort in the fact that the voice is one of, I feel like the few things that I really have worked yeah. on. Yeah. And the comforting thing about that, I think for my students and people that are listening to this podcast should be that um, it is something that I had to work on and refine, which, you know, the best news for a singer, I feel like is that the only thing standing between you and the voice that you want, really, I guess two things would be hard work Mm -hmm. and the right regimen. And the reason that's such good news is because for most singers like yourself, you spend so many years kind of getting by, wishing you had the answers, mm-hmm. but finding that those answers are actually kind of elusive. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me is, is you, you, voice is something that um, I think for a lot of people, you feel like you're either born with it or you're not. Like it's your looks. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like some people are like, you're either good looking or you're not good looking. <laughs> and so with an instrument, you know, well, I can practice and I can become good because it's technical. It's something that I'm going to learn how to do and like drums, for example, you sit down, and you play drums for a certain amount of time, you learn paradiddles, then you learn these different things that grow your technique, and then you actually become good at it. But somehow, in some, I think in a lot of people's heads, they feel like your voice is, you either have a voice or you don't have a voice. And, uh, and that's, I think, if, I mean, in this podcast, if we can even 
uncover some of that stuff for me. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of different uh, versions of natural talent or, or, or ways you can interpret natural talent. So I think most of the time when people think of natural talent for singers, they just think of tone. Yeah. Um, or, or they kind of, you might lump a whole lot of different, you might think of four or five different singers and say, well, these are all great singers. They all have natural talent. When reality is the specific things that they're good at that make them good singers can be slightly different. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, if you consider Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Frank Sinatra had an incredible tone. He yeah. was known for having just a beautiful voice. Uh, but if you listen to his recordings, he never really, at least he doesn't showcase a huge range. No. He doesn't showcase licks and runs. Mm-hmm. He doesn't showcase um, a lot of the versatility that if you consider somebody, I don't know, uh, Tori Kelly or Ariana Grande or people that, mm-hmm. that just have like these acrobatics you yeah. know, with their voice and they have incredible range, all these things. Yet, if we're talking about who are really great natural, who have natural talent as singers, you might say Frank Sinatra and Tori Kelly, even though they're good at different things. Absolutely. And Tori Kelly has wonderful tone as well. But um, what I always talk to people about is that I, I think one of the most important things when it comes to natural talent, one of the things that's most common across really um, gifted singers has to do with the way that they intuitively want to experience their voice. Mm-hmm. So we have, um, we have two primary ways that we can experience our voice. We have what we hear and we have what we feel. Mm-hmm. So really simply do this for me, go, hmm, hmm. And when you do that, you feel this buzz on your nose and on your lips and maybe behind your eyes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you kind of uh, clench your teeth together and do the same thing, go, hmm, hmm. When you really clench like that, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this sound moves back away from the front of your face. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's something that is really consistent with the singers I work with that just have effortless voices, that have continually, just every time they sing, guys like um, like Phil Wickham would be mm-hmm. a great example, that every time the guy opens his mouth, glory comes out and makes you wanna punch him in the face because he's yeah. so good. Yeah. Just kidding, I don't wanna punch you, Phil. Um, I do sometimes. You do, okay, that's fair. Um, only when he sings, because yeah. you're like, it's so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've talked to Phil about this. He focuses primarily on what he feels when he sings. So there's this pocket uh, that, that you can feel, you can get into mm-hmm. um, where the voice resonates in a particular way. So you have, you have three primary sections to your voice. You have the respirator, which is your lungs. You have your vocal cords in the middle of your throat. As air passes through the vocal cords, it causes them to oscillate hundreds of times per second. And then you have your head, mm-hmm. which is the resonator. Now, if I go, hmm, and there's this kind of warm sound, my jaw and tongue relax, and all that sound resonates mm-hmm. forward, I feel this buzz. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go, hmm, and mm-hmm. I kind of clench a little bit, all that sound drops back into my throat. Mm-hmm. And the majority of singers that I work with that are having struggles with their voice, like singers that have really problematic voices, yeah, 10 times out of 10, they are people that are self-conscious about what they sound like. And, and being self-conscious about what they sound like causes them to do things unconsciously that brings that sound back into their throat. Yeah. So, so think about you know, that guitar 
that's right behind you. Yes. If you're listening to two guitars, all right, we're going to A, B, two different guitars, and you go, this guitar sounds great, and this guitar sounds like crap. Um, we could probably assume that the guitar that sounds awesome resonates really well. Yeah. And the guitar that doesn't uh, sound good doesn't resonate really yeah, well. totally. And the reason that a guitar doesn't resonate well is because it wasn't made well or because the wood is too dense. You know, it's just a dead-sounding guitar as a result. Mm -hmm. Well, voices you can evaluate in a very similar fashion in that the voices that sound amazing are the ones that resonate well. Yeah. And the voices, and, and when people um, experience resonant in, resonance in their own voice, I believe that the primary way that they experience that is through what they feel rather than through what they hear. Okay. So when you focus on, there's a reason for this. When you focus on what you hear, you, you know, mm -hmm. you, you listen to your own voices is a really natural thing to do. You start singing, you start evaluating the sound that you're hearing in your own head. There are a couple big problems with this. Yeah. Uh, one is that I think it's impossible to be creative and critical at the same time. So singing is naturally meant to be a creative activity. Yeah, I get that. You know, so if you ever find yourself in a songwriting session and you're writing a song and you, you say something, uh, you, you blurt out a line and then you immediately think, oh, that was stupid. Yeah. And you ask somebody, is that, can we say that? Is that a good thing, right? That's not usually a good space to be in as a songwriter, you want creativity to flow. And the moment you begin reflecting on the lines that you're writing and asking yourself whether they're good lines, mm -hmm. creativity starts to suffer. Well, yeah. the same thing happens when you're singing. That if you produce tone and you immediately go, does that sound good? Are other people going to like listening to this? Mm -hmm. You immediately start on an unconscious level or maybe even a conscious level, you start manipulating the sound into something that you think other people are going to like. Yeah. Um, so you become critical rather than creative. Mm -hmm. The reason that being critical doesn't work is because the sound that we hear in our own heads is misleading. Um, so if you've ever heard a recording of yourself talking, mm -hmm. you know that this is the case, right? Most people out there, like I, I go and teach classes all over the place. I always ask this question. I go, how many people have heard a recording of yourselves talking, everybody raised their hands, and I say, okay, keep your hands up if you liked what you heard. Everybody drops their hand. Yeah, absolutely. Because we hear recordings of ourselves talking and we go, who is that? Yeah, right? absolutely. Our, the sound we hear in our head does not reflect the sound that everybody else hears. Mm -hmm. But when we're singing, if we start thinking, is somebody else going to like this sound? What we're doing is we're fabricating or, or synthesizing this tone in our heads that we think we need to sound like probably based on other singers that we've heard. Yeah. And we're now trying to match that tone. Mm -hmm. And the problem is the singers that we're trying to match hear something different in their heads mm -hmm. than what we hear out in the world. Totally. Right? So if you're <clears throat> actually going to successfully mimic an attractive tone, you would need to mimic the sound that another singer hears in their own head, but you can't hear that. Only mm -hmm. they can. Yeah. So really, if you are trying to figure out how to sing by imagining or synthesizing the sound that you think your voice needs to be producing, more often than not, maybe every time, you're going to run into problems. Totally. You're going to create more problems than you fix. On the other hand, when singers focus on what they feel, 
And, and when I say what you, what you feel, like again, you just very simply, when you go, hmm, you feel this buzz on your, on your uh, lips and on your nose and behind your eyes. What I'm thinking is every single note that I hit, regardless of the vowel, the consonant, the lyric, the, the, the melody line, whatever, mm-hmm. I want it to resonate as, as well as possible, as richly as possible, yeah. because that's the way we evaluate the quality of instruments. Yeah. yeah. Now, what happens when somebody is focused on what they hear primarily, they're self-conscious. If they begin focusing on what they feel, very often their first thought is, wait, but that doesn't sound good. Yeah. And then they change it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, See I how totally that... get that. Yeah. So, so there is this sense in which some people, I think, really naturally gifted singers more often than not, almost kind of don't care what their voice sounds like on some level. Yeah. And people go, well, if I sounded like Phil Wickham, I wouldn't care either, right? That's simple. Mm -hmm. But it's a a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Totally. I think his natural talent comes from the fact that he has always wanted his voice to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say that. I was actually, um, I remember being at his dad's church in San Diego before he got discovered at all. hmm. Uh, And I remember him getting up to lead worship before we played when I was in tree 63 and uh and we we played that night and they opened for us like with a worship band and he wasn't even full Wickham yet he was lucky he was Phil but he wasn't like an artist no one had dis- no one he'd never been to Nashville I don't think um and he'd done a little self-titled little worship EP that his dad gave me um but as soon as he started singing I remember him leading and he was just he just like super relaxed in his band uh, it didn't seem like he was trying to trying to impress anybody or he just felt like it looked like he was just in his own skin comfortably you know just singing and just leading he wasn't trying to impress anybody uh, even though we were there and he was we were from nashville and you know what i mean he was yeah. a bigger band um it just seemed like he was comfortable in in that space of just leading and uh you, you're saying that exactly what you know he was it didn't seem like he was trying to be something it's just that he was just relaxed and singing on his own leading yeah. leading the songs but what was coming out was like, oh my gosh, this guy's really got a special voice. And I remember telling his dad, man, this is amazing. And he said, do you want to take one of his EPs home? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to take it home. And I came back to Nashville and it wasn't long after that six or eight months that I was sitting with a few different guys and they're saying, hey, there's this guy called Phil, you know, yeah. in California, in San Diego. And his voice made a way for him instead of him moving to Nashville to try to get a, a deal or anything. It's just like... His voice just was made a way for him. It's undeniable. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. undeniable. I, uh, I I started working with him after he had surgery on his on his vocal cords. Which, uh, go ahead and point this out because there's a lot of misnomers when it comes to why vocal damage occurs. Um, people think that vocal damage occurs only because of bad technique. And Phil, even though he for the most part is very untrained, has never had what I would call bad technique at all. Um, the thing that people have to realize, I'm sure you can affirm this, is that when you are a touring artist, you are very often, it's very easy to go night after night after night without sleeping very well, without mm-hmm. sleeping very much. You're sleeping on a moving bus, got those air conditioners right above your head. Yeah. You're, you know, you're subject to the food that people give you, like yeah. catering when you show up. So um, when you are touring on a bus night after night after night, 
not sleeping well, not drinking enough water, well, that's, not that's having great thing. nutrition, yeah. all those things. And then you're, you're singing hard. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine a CrossFit athlete going and competing on low sleep, not watching their nutrition, and yet they're just grinding, you know. And competing every day. For competing, like yeah. Four days a week, five the, days a week. Even though exercising is something that's healthy, mm-hmm. they can injure themselves very easily. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that was why Phil ended up with damage on his vocal cords. So he had a polyp. He had to have it surgically removed. And, of course, I mean, he went on like months of vocal rest. And he came back and things just felt off. Yeah. Felt off. Yeah. The experience of using his voice was not what he remembered it being. Yes. So that's when he and I started working together was to try to get it, get the experience of using his voice. And this is really the psychology, like trying to emphasize this point that it, when you're focusing on feeling, you're focusing on the experience of using your voice mm-hmm. rather than the experience of hearing your voice. Mm-hmm. Right? See that yeah, difference? Yeah. You don't, your priority cannot be when I sing, I want people to come up and tell me what a great job I did. It has to be, I love singing. I love the experience of using my voice. Mm-hmm. I love what my voice feels like. And he had gone his entire life expecting his voice to feel a certain way. He had surgery. He came back. It didn't feel the same. Yeah. So he and I start working together. And now he is back. And I mean, he's, he's way better at taking care of himself. Um, and... Um, his voice is as strong as it ever was, maybe stronger than it ever was. Mm-hmm. And when I hear him sing live, it is comical to me that I could on some planet call myself his vocal coach. Mm. I, I, last time I heard him sing live was at Tomlin's uh, Worship Night in America tour. Yeah. And I, I literally just sat there laughing in the back uh, to myself not really loud it was a big worship experience you know but he's singing and i'm just laughing because it's so good i don't know how to process it yeah absolutely you know anyway sorry getting off on a tangent so um that's the that's the first thing i think that that comes from natural talent is that people focus on what they feel rather than what they hear and when you think about somebody like phil or or any other singer that just naturally has this amazing voice I think that on a psychological level, you, you, there are a lot of people that could potentially have amazing voices, but they have spent years focusing on what they hear, worried about what people think, and they have just taken wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. Mm-hmm. And now when they come in for vocal sessions, we're not just trying to give them a how-to list, like a roadmap of how to sing properly. We have to undo all of this Mental. psychological yeah. junk that has piled on top of their voice because what they have, their experience is telling them year after year after year that they're not good enough, that they're not as good as this other person. Mm-hmm. And then they start thinking, well, maybe I'm not meant to be as good as this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just amazing what over time focusing on the right things can do for your voice. In the end, your goal should be to have the best possible voice that God gave you. Yeah, You can't, ask for more than that. Mm-mm. And and some people do have instruments that resonate naturally well and they have beautiful tone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I can't... There are a handful of singers that I have ever met that I feel like, yeah, they're, they have refined the use of the instrument God gave them to the point that it is resonating 
at its maximum potential. Wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's for large part is my story. I mean, I feel exactly like you've said, you know, as far as maybe I, sh I shouldn't, maybe I'm not really a singer. Maybe, you know, maybe I should just always put, and I'm, I'm wired that way anyway. I love to mentor people and see other people do well. So when I identify someone with one of those voices that either they've managed to find their way through and not have to stress about it and they're actually singing great like Steve from Civil Twilight yeah. I, I noticed him when he was 13 if I show you the demos that, of him singing then everyone said he, the band sounds so cool but his voice is so weak and he's, she, he should go for you know do voice lessons and he should do this and I was like man I can hear something in his voice and now years and years later he's an amazing singer everyone's like wow this guy he just got asked to go to how LA. old is he now? he's 29 and okay. he was asked to go to um, LA to sing for the benefit concert for for uh, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park, yeah. Because the singer, the the guy that passed away, his him and his wife, Steve's their favorite singer. So they invited him and said, "Listen, we want you to come and sing at this big." What an yeah. honor! Yeah, it's just because of his voice. Like we want you to come and sing at this thing, and so all that to say that there's those kind of people that I know that I'm like, wow, this is unidentified. I mean, this is obviously a guy that's going to be a singer or. Hannah, my friend Hannah that sings with me in the Worship Republic, I'm always pushing her forward and saying, yeah, you've got an amazing voice, which makes me defer to my own voice and say, like, uh, I'll just be in the background or let me just disappear out of here. And I think I do that just naturally as, as a coach because that's the kind of guy that I am. I like coaching other people and seeing them win. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't often like to step up and say, yeah, you I'm going to be the you guy. Love, you love seeing other people win. I love that about you. <laughs> it's good, but it's also in some ways it's bad because it, it doesn't allow me to ever say, well, I've got something to say too. Hmm. And I feel like, man, if I could get to that point where I would be able to say, I feel comfortable with my voice, that if I had to get in a room and just, you know, around other great singers or other people, songwriters, a writer's round, for example. My little sister, she always comes back to, she's in South Africa. She always comes and says, why aren't you singing your own songs? Why aren't you out there? At writers' nights, why aren't you doing stuff? You, she says, "You're so good, you're so good," and I'm always like, "No, no, 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 no," you know. And so, if I could get to a point where I felt comfortable uh, as as a as a with my voice, feeling yeah. like it's not going to give out on me. And what you mentioned earlier was one of the biggest things I never even realized. I never drink water, hmm. and so when I talk, even if I talk to do my how my are you list. alive if you never drink water? <laughs> I drink, I guess, tea and I drink coffee and I, okay, so, but so I'm getting liquids. But I'm, my voice is always dried out. So if yeah. I talk for a little while, I'm, my voice will start to get sore. And, I, and I the coffee we're drinking is not helping that either. Yeah. <laughs> so I've just had a bad habit of never picking up a glass of water and drinking water. I'll drink water with my dinner maybe every now and again. I'll have a half a glass of water with dinner. Okay. But I'm not drinking water throughout the day like everybody else should, like mm -hmm. you should be. And I, the other day I had an event that I had to go and sing at. And I, I actually said to myself, I'm going to drink water the whole week before I go. Because I knew I'd have to sing, and um, and I'd been pretty like my throat. I always feel like my throat's just I don't know if it's allergies or it's just always feels like I want to give out as soon as I start yeah. singing. So if I sing one time, it just feels like either it's because it's not fit because I'm not singing enough. But most of the time, I I, I just thought it was because I'm not fit. But when I realized that by drinking water, it took care of a lot of the the trouble. So for example, uh, that's one thing I never just never knew. I just never knew if you're not drinking enough water. Yeah. Your voice is not hydrated. It's not going to want to work. And so those are the kind of things that, like just you sharing with me these type of things makes it. Well, and, you know, when it comes to hydration, it, so drinking a lot of water, if you are already dehydrated, it takes actually a couple days of drinking yeah, water. Totally. 
for that hydration to reach your vocal cords. Mm -hmm. So your vocal cords are gonna be one of the last things to become hydrated. And if you are, if you ever find yourself thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Totally. Right, being thirsty is a symptom of being dehydrated, of yeah. your body not having enough water. Um, so another thing that Phil started doing um, was traveling with a, a voice steamer or a nebulizer. Yeah. And there are a bunch you can get um, on a uh, bunch that you can get out there um, that enable you to just breathe in steam for, you know, a few minutes. And that will hydrate your voice very quickly. Now it'll be fleeting. Yeah, but half an hour and you're done. Yeah. yeah. But when you're about to walk on stage, um, hydration is, is really valuable for, mm -hmm. for not getting worn out, for prote protecting your voice. Um, and so right before you walk on stage, it's a good thing. And then when, when you walk off of stage, um, being able to get that immediate shot of hydration in your vocal cords will definitely help protect them. Wow. So obviously, if I'm trying to give practical tips to you about how to improve your voice moving forward, it's not enough just to say, well, 20 years ago when you started singing or however long ago it was, mm -hmm. you should have just focused on what you feel rather than what you hear. Uh, <laughs> and so now just start focusing on that and everything will work out. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that people have to realize is that the voice is controlled by muscle groups. Yeah. And so the process of becoming a better singer is really not all that different than uh, learning to do anything else. So like if you wanted to learn how to shoot a basketball, mm -hmm. uh, little kids shoot a basketball by just chucking it, right? They, they pop both their elbows out and they just shove the ball from their shoulder or from their chest. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if you're going to teach a little kid how to shoot a basketball, you're going to take them out onto a court if you're going to teach them in an effective way. You're going to take them out onto the court. You're going to teach them to drop their elbow, to bend their knees a certain way, to you know shift their weight on their feet a certain way, mm -hmm. work on their form, and give them drills yeah. that enable them to... Use um, the right muscle groups. Yeah, to, to go through those that new way of shooting over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to explain it to somebody. You have to get them to do it over and over and over again. And this is the biggest flaw with traditional vocal coaching, I find, is that the methods that are employed don't actually lead people to, quote unquote, you know, or to metaphorically speaking, shoot with proper form. Yeah. Um, they're not actually effective drills. Now, with a basketball shot, you can, um, it, it, it's not that complicated of of a mechanism to mm -hmm. shoot a basketball compared to singing or maybe like swinging a golf club. Yeah. I liken singing a lot of times to swinging a golf club mm -hmm. because swinging a golf club is a full body, very complicated experience. And there's so many little things that could seemingly go wrong that it's actually something that's very difficult to teach. Yeah. But in some ways, maybe in most ways, I think that teaching people to sing is even more difficult can be than swinging a golf club. And the reason is because all of the muscles that we're using are internal. You can't see them, mm -hmm. right? So if I'm an expert at swinging a golf club, which I am not, um, <laughs> but if I was and I watch you swing a golf club, I should be able to diagnose pretty quickly why the ball did not go where mm -hmm. you wanted it to go. Totally. Right? But with singing, I have to hear what's going on with your voice and diagnose purely based on what I'm hearing, not on what I'm seeing. 
And that's something that I just think most people have not been taught to do or just don't have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have to have, so, so you have to have proper diagnosis and then you have to have um, a regimen that actually works. And so a regimen that's gonna work is gonna do things like stretching out the muscle, uh, stretching mm-hmm. out your vocal cords, um, which again, your vocal cords are made of soft tissue, very similar to muscle fiber. So they have to stretch out just like yeah. muscles do. They have to gain strength just like muscles do. Mm-hmm. Um, they engage in different muscle coordinations. Yeah. Um, just like if I'm gonna take a sip of coffee, my bicep is extending and my tricep is contracting as I reach for the cup. Mm-hmm. And then as I bring the cup to my mouth, my bicep is extending, wait, my bicep contract. is contracting and my tricep is extending. That's yeah. a muscle coordination, yeah. right? So your vocal cords engage in different muscle coordinations in order to hit different notes. Yeah. And so when you have a group of notes that are easy and a group of notes that are difficult, the easy notes are coordinated well and the difficult notes are not. Mm-hmm. And so in order for the difficult notes to become easy, you have to learn those muscle coordinations and you have to learn them by going through drills that make it easy for them to figure it out. Totally. It can't just be a stand this way, breathe this way, um, you know, in, uh, increase breath support. There's so many singers that um, when I ask them, what do you want to learn when it comes to singing? One of the first things they say is, I want to become better at breathing. And I just want to go, why in the world do you need to be better at breathing? You're not struggling to breathe right now. You are alive. <laughs> I don't have to teach you how to breathe. Yeah. And if increasing your breath support was actually going to make you a better singer in of itself, then all I would tell you to do is go spend some time scuba diving or free diving, and you will increase your lung capacity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that was going to work, then every free diver in the world would be a great singer. But that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. You have to learn... Um, or, or rather you have to engage in drills that are not just increasing your lung capacity, but are improving your vocal cords ability to interact with the airflow that mm-hmm. are coming from your vocal, that's being sent up from your vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. So there is a very systematic way that I think, um, trains the vocal cords and properly. Um, and I think that, that some effective methods are becoming more and more common with vocal coaches, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, it was, well, it was, it was in the back in the 50s and 60s that um, vocal coaches started looking at training the voice from a physiological pr- perspective for the first time. Up until that point, it had been largely um, just sort of abstract. And it still is very abstract. I mean, there are some coaches out there that will tell you to sing colors. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I would not find that helpful personally. If no. you have, if you're listening to this and you have found that helpful, I'm glad that it's been helpful. But for me, I hear that and I go, "What in the world does it mean to sing blue?" Yeah. What, do, do you know what that means? <laughs> do you have any concept? No, I've got no you know, idea. So, it's so funny... it's it's ways of tricking people into doing things. And if it doesn't work, what are you left with? Yeah, you see, the thing about it is you're making it more of a mystery. It, 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 the more mysterious you make it of a thing that you can achieve, the yeah. less likely you are to even reach for it. Right, right. So, so what I always tell singers is, if, if I'm working with you on how to shoot a basketball, and I actually know what I'm doing, um, then there should be at least one shot, maybe a handful of shots before you leave the court, where you go, hey, that was perfect. I look just like LeBron mm-hmm. shooting the shot, yeah. right? 
Now, that does not mean that you are as good as LeBron. No. It means that in theory, you are able to shoot a basketball as well as he does. So what's the difference between you and LeBron? Well, he can do it blindfolded with three defenders on him turning around from behind the three-point line, and you have to do it from two feet away from the basket with no one within 10 feet of you, and you have to have you know 10 attempts to make sure you get it right. Yeah. But in theory, you know how to do it the same way that he does. Mm-hmm. So then you have to go out to the court over and over and over again, going through those drills, learning, learn. I mean, how many free throws do you think LeBron has taken over the course of his career? I have no idea. Tens of thousands. Sure. Easily. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the thing. You have to learn an effective regimen. And let me take you through a quick exercise real quick. Let's do it. So the voice is, yeah, this is your like, dude, stop talking. This is what I'm waiting for. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, the thing we have to realize is that the voice has a specific way that it's designed to function. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that, um, learning how to become a great technician on a guitar requires you really understand the way it's designed to be played. Mm -hmm. Your voice is no different. It's just way more complicated. Sure. Um, and so the voice is, uh, designed sort of like a manual transmission car. Mm -hmm. So some people might be driving Ferraris and some people might be driving 1996 Dodge Neons. Um, And if you are driving a Ferrari, it means that you can abuse first gear a little bit without ruining the car, without blowing the engine, right? So it's like I run to a lot of singers to go, you know, I'm happy driving 30 miles an hour and uh, I got a really nice car and so I'm going to put it in first and I'm just going to stay there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, you know, if you would learn how to shift gears, you would get way more out of this car. And singers find all these reasons as to why they don't want to do that. Yeah. So, for example, what shifting gears in your voice looks like has to do with moving from from uh, chest voice into head voice. So do this for me. Put your hand between your nose and your mouth like this. Um, now his So his hand, um, since you can't see us, is now just horizontally positioned right above his mouth. Um, and now if you do this for me, Dan, go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now tell me, where is that sound resonating? Is it primarily above or below your hand? Do it again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Above or below? Below. Below. Yeah. And the reason for that is because the primary location of resonance for your chest voice is not only in your head, it's in your mouth. Yeah. Right? So when we pull up chest or we yell or we shout, that's like taking first gear too fast. Yeah. And what happens when we take first gear too fast is that that resonance gets stuck in our mouth when it wants to shift up and shift up into our nasal cavity. Now do the same thing. Put your hand between your nose and your mouth and say, woo, woo, woo. Do it again. Woo. So where did that sound go? Did it go above or below your hand? Above. Above. Yeah. So when you move up into your head voice, something happens in your vocal cords. Your vocal cords thin out and the resonance shifts from your mouth into your nasal cavity. Mm -hmm. Now what singers do all the time is they say, well, I've never really had any use for my head voice. Especially men do this, but even women do it. If they're singing contemporary styles, they listen to singers they idolize. Again, going back to what you feel rather than Mm -hmm. what you hear. If you're listening, if you're going, listening to other singers and saying, but they are singing in a full voice. And I want to sing in a full voice too. Mm-hmm. Um, you're assuming that you can't be in a full voice and be in head voice at the same time. 
And that's not true. Wow. So the voice is designed so that resonance would move from your mouth into your nasal cavity as you move up the scale, as you sing higher notes. And when people go, but I don't want to utilize my nasal cavity, I don't want to, to work on strengthening my head voice in order to hit these higher notes, I just want to keep it in first gear because that's what I know. Yeah. They're just like that driver that's like, you know what? Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I constantly keep on hitting the accelerator and I get a little bit faster and a little bit faster, but I'm going, there is a ceiling. You're never going to go past a certain speed. You're going to be redlining the engine constantly. Mm -hmm. You're going to blow the engine. You're going to have to constantly take it in for maintenance. Nothing is going to go well mm -hmm. as well as you think it should. Totally. And you're never going to get as much out of the car as you could if you learn to just follow that design. And the evidence of the fact that that is the design the voice wants to follow is that when you go, woo, and you mimic that head voice, intuitively the sound moves into your nasal cavity. Mm-hmm. You didn't go, Whoa! you didn't do that, trying to mm -hmm. hit that note. The moment you tighten up and try to intentionally drop that sound into your mouth, it gets tight. The engine starts redlining. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you have to realize is there's this natural way that the voice wants to function, and it is that at a certain point, that resonance is going to move up into your nasal cavity. Yeah. And whatever reason you have to be threatened by that process, you have to push it aside and realize that it feels better. Yeah. It feels better. And if you are moving towards something that feels better, then you are moving toward the way that your voice was designed to function. Yeah. And if you're moving toward the way that your voice was designed to function, you're going to be moving toward more authority with your voice. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't see it at first, how that correlates, it's going to. Okay. Because... Again, the voice has a design, and something I don't believe is that when God designed the voice, he, I don't believe he would have said, well, it can either sound great or it can feel great, but not both. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's When you're moving towards one, you're moving toward the other. That's good. If you're moving towards something that you think sounds good, but it feels awful, you are wrong. Mm. That, doesn't, that doesn't coexist. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so the exercise I always give people is lip rolls. This makes it really easy to stretch out the vocal cords and get this resonance to shift. So I want you to take your fingertips, gently lift up on your cheeks. Don't keep them too, don't put them too close to the corners of your mouth. Otherwise you're going to go like yeah. that. So, so a little bit further out, uh, sort of in the middle, this is just preventing your cheeks from filling up with air. Say, uh, sorry. Uh-huh. Now you kind of have this woofy feeling. Say the word woofy. Woofy. Yeah, and it makes you feel a little bit like Michael McDonald going, baby, there no man, right? Yeah. Or Rick Astley, never going to give you up, right? Yeah, that kind of yeah, feeling, yeah, yeah. right? You get this depth in your throat, not because you want to necessarily sound that way, but because we're trying to train the larynx to stay low. Okay. Um, so that the vocal cords can stretch out so that the resonance can shift. Um, so, because if you let their larynx rise, you go, you again are forcing all that sound into your mouth. Yeah. We just established we don't want that. So you drop that larynx, you get this woofy feeling, and you go again. Now say, get those chords. Now you don't have much of a head voice, so we're gonna work on find this on air. Try it. That's it. There it is. Feel that flippy feeling. Yeah. Okay. Singers hate that. Yeah, the kind of the gap between that that, the head that voice flip and, between yeah. head voice and chest voice. 
They hate that. And the moment they go, well, that's why I don't like head voice. It's because I flipped. It's because of this, yeah, this, the break. And the thing I always have to tell them is stop being so threatened by it. So great singers still have flaws in their voices. They're just not threatened by them. Mm-hmm. The moment you become threatened by a flaw in your voice, what you are doing is you're saying, that's not good enough, it doesn't sound good enough, and you are immediately going inward like a a turtle going into its shell and hiding Mm -hmm. and trying to protect yourself from other people hearing that flaw in your voice. It influences the way that you use it, and you go, well, I'm not gonna let that happen again. So what do you do? You start pulling up chest voice, you start manipulating things, and again, it's all Mm -hmm. focused on what you hear rather than what you feel. On the other hand, if you care about, on an emotional level, if you care about what you feel, and you go and you flip, you might actually go, well, that actually felt kind of good. That actually felt good. If you actually value what feels good, you're not going to avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's, I know it seems counterintuitive for a lot of you out there, but when you allow your voice to feel the way that it's supposed to feel, you will actually be moving closer, more often than not, to the way that it's actually supposed to sound. So what could you tell me to do in the next couple of days just to feel that? Uh-huh. The first step is to um, make sure that you are giving your vocal cords a chance to stretch out. Okay. Okay, so what happens when you are, uh, especially for somebody like you, that you're singing live, you're, you're using your voice a mm-hmm. decent amount, and you're singing in a contemporary worship style, which mirrors a contemporary style, where um, you're sort of going from a low part of your range up to a middle part of your range, mm-hmm. trying to hit these in full voice. Yeah. Your vocal cords, it's like your engine is redlining in first gear constantly, Yeah. over and over and over again. Your vocal cords are flexing, they're squeezing, they're becoming irritated all yeah. the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you go to the gym and you go and lift weights, yeah. what are you supposed to do the next day to get them to relax? Just supposed to rest. Rest and stretch. Stretch, oh yeah, of course. You gotta get those muscle fibers to stretch out again. Mm-hmm. So with your vocal cords, if you're just flexing and pushing and gripping all the time and you're never giving them a chance to stretch out, mm-hmm. rest is not actually gonna be enough. You're right, yeah. So the first thing I would say is lip rolls need to become your new best friend because they make it actually difficult to pull up chest voice, to strain. Um, Do this for me, go from the bottom, keep that low larynx and go. So that's completely counter to your tendency what just happened. You just let, you just, the, the tone underneath that was ooh. Yeah. Right? That was the tone underneath it, and that might be completely counter to the way that you normally would seek to use your voice when you're on stage. So if you go and do that every single morning, you go, you know, I'm gonna have one priority, and it is to get my vocal cords to thin out, to shift back and forth between my chest voice and my head voice, and I'm gonna start becoming comfortable with my head voice. At the very least, what you're gonna be doing is giving your vocal cords a chance to relax in between your live performances when you're pushing and flexing. Okay, I got you. Right? Yeah. So it's not just about this how-to list that goes, how do I make the live performance better? It's how is my voice supposed to function? What can I do on a daily basis that's actually going to make my voice healthier and make it more enjoyable to actually use it? Yeah. Right? And that's the first thing I would say is Very just cool. doing lip rolls. And so, um, you know, uh, you could just sit there on a piano and... Um, and uh, and just go up and down a scale. So we'll do a try it. If you go, 
try that for me? Again? Keep on going. Now, if you're having trouble with this and you go, right, you're holding on chest voice a little bit too long and then all of a sudden you're having to overcorrect, yeah. start at the top. Go, breathe in through your nose and say, again. Let it flip down into chest voice. Right where it wants to. Again, don't focus on avoiding that flip. Do it again. Good. That is exactly what you need to do. Yeah, it feels comfortable. It it's feel totally comfortable. And it's amazing how just after what we do, like six keys or something like that, your voice feels lighter than it did when you walked in here, doesn't it? It does. doesn't feel so... Like talking is all of a sudden easier mm -hmm. just because you stretched out before you came in here, before you walked into the room, um, I stretched a little bit like my hamstrings and, and calves or whatever, because mm -hmm. I was feeling kind of tight yeah. and I stretched for five or 10 seconds mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I felt better. Yeah. Now, if I go and stretch for 30 minutes or I go take like, like a yoga class or something, yeah. my voice is going to feel so much better mm -hmm. and your voice is going to be no different. So that's the first thing I would do is implement it, that into a daily routine. You know, you got a five or 10 minute commute on the way, on your way to the office. I would just sit there and go. And just use your ear and kind of don't, don't keep an agenda of what notes you're hitting. Don't worry about how long you're doing it. Start focusing on the fact that it feels good. Mm -hmm. And then you, you do it as long as you uh you want to you yeah. know at some point you go okay i think i'll stop you know but at another point you might go well normally i stop here but you know what it feels really good i think i'm gonna keep going and you just create that pattern of i'm going to learn to enjoy what my voice feels like i'm going to stretch out those vocal cords i'm going to learn how to utilize my head voice mm -hmm. uh, because that mental just getting over that mental hurdle mm -hmm would be so helpful when somebody comes in for a private lesson that they already value their head voice, they already have some comfort level with their head voice, they already have some flexibility in their vocal cords. Now when you have that as a general rule, it gives us more to work with when we're actually putting together a vocal regimen that will get a little more specific into how to, to intensify resonance, how to build strength, how to yeah. increase range, how to improve tone, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Because on a fundamental level, the things that you're learning just from doing lip rolls every morning are so important and yeah. so foundational. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, my dad my dad was an amazing singer, kind of like a Joe Cocker kind of voice. So super raspy sounding voice. Mm -hmm. And he, he would, I think he always just would like wound his voice by singing like that kind of really raspy. Sure. And so he always told me, I don't have a falsetto. I don't have a head voice. And so I assumed because he was my dad and we kind of genetically the same kind of makeup that and when i do sing sometimes i do end up with a bit of rasp in my voice that i also don't have a falsetto or i, I don't have a head voice mm. so give up on the idea of having a head voice yeah whereas what you're telling me is is exactly the opposite you do have, is that it's critical i mean it's yeah. it makes up for for most men one third of your range is in head voice for most women two-thirds mm -hmm. of their range is in is in head voice and so if you're just completely denying head voice 
it's like um, so you know if you if you consider like fitness fanatics you get some people who do yoga every single day and i know yoga is really healthy and you got some yogis that are in really good shape mm-hmm. um for the most part, though, when you get somebody who is a that, that's all about fitness, mm-hmm. um, they vary their workout. Absolutely, they might lift weights one day, they might run sprints another day, they might do yoga another day. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that end up being the most athletic, the yeah. most versatile. Yeah, with your voice, um, it, it, well, and, and think about that just for a second longer. They are really they're going into it with this mindset that they're going to see what they're, they're going to find out what their limits are. Yeah. You know, they, if you are, if your goal is to become a, a really great shape and you start running and you go, well, I know that sprinting is a really important part. Like burst training is a really important part of becoming in as good a physical condition as I can, but I think I look stupid when I run. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do that. That mentality is not going to take you where you want to go. No, absolutely not. Right? I don't see the use in running. I don't enjoy running, and so this is a big part of it, and I'm just I'm going to neglect it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be in the same condition as other people that are willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And so your voice, you need to go into it with this process. When you're going to train your voice, you have to go into it with this idea that you're going to see whatever your voice is actually capable of doing, whether you're going to utilize those aspects of your voice when you're singing or not. That's right, yeah. You, you're, and this should be our closing thought, is that the most important thing for anybody who wants to sing the way that God intended them to sing, sing with the voice that they were meant to sing with. Yeah. You have to go into it with the notion that you are going to explore everything that the instrument is capable of. You're going to learn to enjoy even the aspects that you've never thought were very useful yeah. because an easy voice is a balanced voice. A balanced voice is one that is capable of making a lot of different types of sounds, not just the sounds that other people want to listen to. Yeah. And when I take people through a vocal regimen, through a vocal workout, largely that's what we're doing. We're making a whole lot of sounds that people don't necessarily want to sing with, but we are exploring the full capacity of what the voice can do in order to move it to a place of balance because that's when optimal tone comes in. That's when, and really everything else, increased range, increased power, and getting easier at the same time. That's awesome. So, Dan, super helpful, man. Man, Thank thanks so much. much for being uh, with me today for the yeah, first episode. Super, yeah, um, super exciting. As I predicted, we went longer than I was anticipating because <laughs> you and I, when we start talking, we can just keep going. Yeah. Uh, but I hope to have you on future episodes. Absolutely, and, man. I'm I'm keen to learn, and I, you know, so the things I take home from me today were, number one, obviously, you want to feel, uh, you want to enjoy, you feel your voice as opposed to just listen to it. Yeah. So uh, feeling it, and and that feeling that you get with the resonance of your voice is going to help you to move towards a better tone anyway, instead of being in my own head about it. Yeah, when it feels better, it's it's moving towards sounding better. And then the second take home is that, um, is that just like any instrument, there's lots of different uh, areas which are unexplored because oftentimes people haven't had an, an idea of what they think their voice is supposed to do for them. Like artistically, they say, I want to sound like that guy and he only does this. And in, and that's actually a failure to to explore your voice and actually to train it. Practice telling yourself that the voice you were given is good enough. Yeah, the voice good. you were given is enough. 
You don't need somebody else. It's like it's like you know Christmas morning opening a present that somebody bought specifically for you, but then looking over at your sibling and going, "But mine's not good enough. I want what they got." Yeah. You know, it's so ungrateful. Yeah. And learn to enjoy and make the most of the gift that you were given because you were the only one that was given that gift. Yeah. The gift absolutely. of your voice. Thank you, Jeff. That's really encouraging, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Unhindered Voice podcast. I hope that it's been a great help for you in your journey to becoming a better singer. Now, if you wouldn't mind going to the iTunes store and rating this podcast, it would mean the world to me. I want to uh, make sure that this resource can help as many singers around the world as possible. And uh, getting ratings, especially if they're good ratings in the iTunes store, is going to be one of the main ways that I'm able to get the word out. Thanks, guys.